you should have an outline that says the paralysis of sin, the paralysis of sin. The outline helps you just to follow along and to help you write some notes uh, as, uh, as we go forward. Earlier this month, uh, 24-year-old Olivia Gordon woke up to find that she could not move. Uh, she had lost the feeling of her chest down, just waking up, and all of a sudden you can't move. Uh, you see, Olivia is addicted to laughing gas, and she inhales it through balloons, I think it's called hippie crack. And what she had not realized is that her addiction to laughing gas was actually damaging her spinal cord. Now she's lying there, paralyzed. And here is what Olivia said in one of the interviews in the newspaper earlier this month. She says this, I can't feel my legs. I can't take myself to the toilet. I can't feed myself or have a drink as I used to. I can't even put shoes on my son or play with him. It is so heartbreaking. Olivia's paralysis, as I thought about her paralysis, I thought, is a reminder that all of us are really blessed in some sense. It is just a blessing. We don't realize it, but we are so blessed that we are able to get on our two feet, even able to come to fellowship this morning. What a blessing that is. There is Olivia there, she can't even do that. We can move around as we please. And yet, as I thought about Olivia's paralysis there, physical paralysis, I thought, as heartbreaking as Olivia's condition is, there is something even more worse than being paralyzed physically. And that is to be paralyzed by sin. That the Bible teaches us that all of us suffer from a spiritual disease, an evil virus within us. The Apostle John calls it sin, and the Apostle John says this about sin. He says, sin is lawlessness. In other words, what the Apostle John is saying is that sin is a rebellious and defiant and deliberate rejection of God as the number one person in our lives. Uh, it is not only doing bad things, but even the good things that we ought first other than God. If Jesus is not number one in our lives, we are living in a state of sinful paralysis. You see, the Bible says ever since sin entered our world in the Garden of Eden, all of us have been born paralyzed by sin. Because we are cut off from the very life of God, from God himself, who is the giver of life. This is our natural condition the moment we are born. You see, what laughing gas has done to Olivia is what sin has done to you. It is what is done to me. It's what is done to all of us. As sin is in our speech, it is in our thoughts, it is in our actions. As sin is not just inside of us, sin is also outside of us. As it casts us vertically from God, sin casts us horizontally from others. We become spiritual dead, yes, but not only that, we become physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally dead in every single dimension. And just as Olivia wants to be free from her physical paralysis, you also desire to be free from the paralysis of sin in your life. You might not have realized that, but all of us do. 
Uh, do you not long for a world where your physical and spiritual needs are met? Don't you long for that? Don't you long to come outside the house without worry? Don't you long to leave your home without it being locked? Don't you want to live in a world without greed and violence? We all do. You see, many years ago, a finalist in Miss America was asked, and I've said this before, what she would like to do to accomplish in, in her reign once she becomes Miss America. What would she like to do? And you may have heard the famous quote, she says, I would like to create world peace, solve world anger, and of course liberate all the caged parakeets. And of course the world laughed when they, they heard her talk about that. And not because we don't want these things. I think we want some of these animals and whatever things to, to roam freely, don't we? It's, it's a noble thing. We, we didn't laugh because of that. We, we laugh because we recognize that the problems in the world are too big for us to solve. They are too big for us to do something about them. We know this ourselves. And the good news of Jesus, the good news of God is that God knows the paralysis of sin is a problem way beyond your pay grade. You can't solve it. He knows that. And so he has come to us in Jesus. He has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to come and sort it out. That is the sensation of good news of Jesus. That is why it's wonderful. That's why I get excited about it when I just think of Jesus. Because this is God saying, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to sort it out. Now, we are currently in Mark. Mark, as you know, is one of the four eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in Mark, the second book. And this morning, we've been going through this book verse by verse. And this morning, we are in chapter 2, which we, our brother Michael read for us. And we're looking at verse 1 to verse 12. And when you look at this passage, it teaches us some important truths, just three truths, about how Jesus heals our paralysis of, by sin. How he heals us from sin itself. So look with me at verse 1 of chapter 2. And the first truth we learn, as we're just going to walk through this, this verse by verse, and the first truth we learn is that life often paralyzes us. Life often does that. Look at verse 1. Jesus, as you know, has been on a self-imposed exile. That's how chapter 1 ends. Uh, he's been on a self-imposed exile in some remote places uh, in Galilee somewhere. Uh, he's got away from the crowd because the crowd wants miracles, but Jesus wants to preach. So he's had to get away thanks to the leper who went around, opened his mouth, told everyone about Jesus. Uh, and Jesus has had to get away. But after some days, Jesus is now back in Capernaum. Capernaum is where Simon, Andrew, John, James come from, and Jesus is staying at their house. And he has come by Capernaum, and Jesus is a superstar, really, at this time. He is the biggest name to have walked in Palestine, in the world, even, we would say. And as soon as he gets home, we can imagine the Capernaum paparazzi. The word is out, Jesus is in town, and the house now is very full. They have come to see him. And Jesus now, if you like, is now trapped at home. But Jesus, for every opportunity when he's at home, is an opportunity to preach. So we can imagine him pulling his chair and he starts teaching. Let's read verse 1 to verse 2. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no room totally packed, not even at the door. He's out in the streets. And he was preaching the word to them. 
And so Jesus is there and he's preaching to them and he's in full flow as he preaches to them. In this packed house and then suddenly bits of clay start falling off. As he's sitting there, he can look up and see some clay is falling up. Uh, some dirt perhaps coming to the ground. And then, then the people in the house, sometimes they could start hearing some voices. And as they look up to see what's going on up there on the roof, the roof now is coming off. What is going on in here? Well, it seems, Mark tells us, that some men have gone outside the house, because at this time the staircases, at this time, are outside the house. I know, it's not the way we build our houses. But at this time, they are built outside the house. And so they have climbed the staircases. And the staircase doesn't lead to another room, no. The staircase at this time leads to a flat roof at the top. Because these roofs is where people now unclothes and you can go there and enjoy the, uh, enjoy, enjoy the weather, I guess. Uh, you could, you know, dry your meat there. And so these men have gone up to this flat roof on top and they are there. <laughs> what are they doing there? Well, the next thing we see is that they are digging into the roof. It seems they are digging into the roof uh, and they are trying, they are carrying a man and they are trying to now lower this man down to where Jesus is teaching. They dropped the man there. Look, let's read this. This is how Mark describes it in verse 3 to 4. And they came, these four men, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, because of the crowd, they can't get in, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed, the stretcher, if you like, on which the paralytic lay. Now, let us just pause, as we try to do when we go through this, let's just pause that scene there. It's good for us to think what's going on here, to pause. What do we see? If, if you imagine this, then what are you looking at? Well, we are seeing a man lying on a stretcher, isn't it? He's completely helpless. Uh, he's probably had to tell his friend to bring him here, or maybe the friends just persuaded him to come. He's there, he's lying there, he's helpless. He's like Olivia, he, he, he can't move without their help. And now he's lying in front of Jesus. Now, now we don't know how the man has become like this. But, but as we look at him closer, what do we see? We see that this man, as paralyzed as he looks, is actually no different from you and I. He's no different from you. Because you see, he's in this situation because the circumstances of life have left him powerless. And we recognize as we look at him that we too have been in situations or are in situations now where we feel powerless. And maybe you are facing a sickness or you've encountered that has changed the way you live. And you're now completely powerless in certain areas of your life. You depend on others to help you. Or maybe just as you get older, Brother Rob prayed about we're all getting older and asking for more strength. Maybe as we just get older, we find that we become more and more immobile. Things that come easier, we can't do. We, there's a sense in which we are facing some paralysis in our areas. Maybe your paralysis is mental, actually. And there are moments in your life when you struggle to rise above the low feelings in your life. You often find yourself feeling helpless. Or maybe your paralysis is a relationship, isn't it? You're trying hard to make your marriage better but you feel inhibited, paralyzed by the situation. Or maybe it's a friendship that has gone wrong and you're paralyzed about it. You feel helpless. Life often paralyzes us. We all have that. And so as we look at this man, it's important we recognize that there's something about this man that reflects all of us. We, we are just as helpless as this man. 
And there is a sense in which all of us need to bring all our problems to Jesus. Because only he can deal with them. Now at this point now, you are thinking to yourself, Chola, look, frankly, I come to church Sunday morning to forget my problems. That's why I come here. I, I, I just want to take a break from the world, and I want to forget my problem. And now I enter through that door, and you are telling me, you now begin to remind me about my problems. And that's, what, that's not why I'm here. I know this already. I know I'm paralyzed by my problems. So why do I need to know? Well, you need to know, because according to Jesus, as difficult as your problem you're facing right now, as hard as the problem facing your loved ones, Actually, that paralysis you're facing is not the biggest problem. Your biggest problem in your life is sin. That's the biggest problem I have. That's the biggest problem everyone has. And that is our next truth. That's according to Jesus, that is our biggest problem. So our next truth we learn from this passage is that our greatest paralysis is actually sin. So yes, point number one, life often paralyzes us. And it's important we recognize that. But as we think about the paralysis in our lives, we recognize that it is not the biggest problem you're facing. Our greatest paralysis is sin. And that's the second truth we learn here. Let us rejoin Mark there. So the man is lying there. We left him, if you like, frozen. There, paralyzed before Jesus. He's there in front of Jesus, right? On a stretcher. And as I read this, I put myself in Peter's shoes. I thought this is his house. Uh, he's looking up and he's looking at the roof. Peter must be quite, you know, not very happy. <laughs> I mean, what's going on here? This man has come and tear the roof. And I think Peter's not alone with feeling a bit displeased about what he's looking at. There are others there who are present. And we can imagine people in the crowd thinking, people who are gathered in the house thinking, no, this is rude, man. I mean, couldn't this man wait? Couldn't he wait until Jesus came outside and dealt with him? We are having church here with Jesus. What are you doing disturbing us? Well, Mark tells us that Jesus' reaction is even more baffling. I mean, it is even more strange. Let's look at this five. This is how Jesus reacts. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. We immediately know that Jesus is not annoyed at the man, but he's not healing him either which is what they want. Jesus instead decides to forgive the man. I mean, what is this about? I mean, if I'm there, I would imagine I'll be shaking my head. I mean, I mean, think, I think people who are there, they're probably shaking their heads and thinking, has Jesus lost the plot here? I mean, this is a bit insensitive, isn't it? A man lying on a stretcher, you're telling him he's a sinner. I mean, what has, what has this man ever done to you to, to tell him that? I mean, we can imagine people saying that. But Jesus is not insensitive. Because Mark says, look at this five, that Jesus has seen the faith, he recognizes the faith of these men who brought him in. And actually the word there it doesn't come across easily in your, in your English versions, but when he says son, your sins are forgiven, the, the term son there is a very endearing term. It's a term that communicates affection. And sometimes in some versions they're trying to convey it and sometimes they use the word child. They, they're trying to get it, the meaning across and they don't always get it right. It's really to say Jesus is looking at him with affection. He cares about him. So why is Jesus then, if he does, focused on telling him he's a sinner who needs forgiveness? Well, you see, by Jesus forgiving this man, Jesus is saying to him, look, I know 
Your friends brought you here for a physical problem. I know that's why you're here. But I have examined you as your heavenly doctor. I am Dr. Jesus, your heavenly doctor, and I'm looking at you, and I have concluded that you have a bigger problem. You came into the GP for some help, but actually it is bigger than that. Uh, My conclusion is that what you need is your soul to be healed. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to be restored to God. Now, if we're thinking about that, this raises a question, doesn't it? Because the question you should ask when you read your Bible is that, does Jesus know something about this man? We don't know. Uh, Is Jesus saying this man is somehow paralyzed because of some sin he's committed? It is possible. I think it is possible, and some take that understanding. Sickness, of course, is not always a result of committing sin. How do I know that? I know some of you read books that say, oh, sickness is a sin, and if you just believe strong enough, you won't be sick anymore. My mind is and I were outside someday, some, some, some month back there, we were having a chat, and a man walked by. My man may remember this man. He walked by and he started having a conversation with me. And we're having a good chat. And he was very insistent that if he only had enough faith, he would never be sick again. And he told me that people are sick because they don't have enough faith, he said. But as I thought about that, I realized that that is demonic. That's heresy, friends. Because not all sickness is a result of sin. You know that. A child born was only... Uh, um, a few months old, can get sick. And they are not actively sinning, are they? They are born in sin, we know that, but they, are not, they haven't committed a sin that has led them, a specific sin that has led them to be sick. We know that with our own children. So it's quite obvious that, that if you want to be perfect, 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 well, the baby's there, the baby still gets sick. So you can never be, do enough things to be, even have big faith enough to be 100% well. So not all sin is a result, not all sickness is a result of sin, we know that. But at the same time, all of us know of situations in which somebody has become sick as a result of sin. I mean, you don't have to engage your imagination very well uh, to, to, to really get there. I mean, you know that already. So we can imagine, for example, somebody engages in sexual sin. And God may give them up in that sexual sin, and they may then contract contracted a disease. I know many people, for example, uh, who, who, for example, have contracted disease as a result of sexual sin. You can think of somebody who goes to steal, and all of a sudden, you know, perhaps the, the, the owner of the house catches them, and they're left paralyzed somehow. So we can, there are situations in which some sin leads to sickness. We know that. But we also know that there are many, sin, there are many sicknesses that has nothing to do with sin. The point, though, here is that we don't really know what's happened to this man. But what we know is that sickness entered our world through sin. So in some sense, the man, yes, at a deeper level, is sick because of sin, right? Because ever since sin entered this world, we've all taken on sin. We suffer from the source, sickness of, if you like, we... We say we are what? Uh, sick souls, isn't it? We are spiritually sick. But as a result of that spiritual sickness, we, we inherited from Adam, therefore sin affects us. The point I'm making here is that all sin is a symptom of the underlying paralysis of sin. So when Jesus looks at this man, he's saying, look, 
The biggest problem you are facing is not this surface problem. It's because you are born in Adam. <laughs> I can't I'll deal with this issue. But what I'm talking about here is that I need to deal with your underlying issue. I, I, I need to deal with your sin. And he's saying, if you're not healed of your sin, you remain under God's everlasting punishment. You see, if Jesus simply heals this man without dealing with his bigger problem, he would be ineffective. He would be uncaring as a heavenly doctor. I mean, isn't that what you want? You want, when you go to your GP, to deal with the real issue, don't you? You've gone there with a, I heard about a man recently who... who who had a back problem. Um, so yeah, he had a back problem, and he went into GP to have a look at the back problem. And he found that actually there's a, he has a tumor in the spinal cord somewhere. And now that man himself is paralyzed. Now imagine if he had gone to the, to the doctors, and the doctor simply said, yeah, we'll treat this pain. Here some painkillers. Go home. And he feels okay for a while. Because painkillers sometimes can fool your brain. You have to ask perhaps a, a, a pharmacist over there. But, but you know, it can fool your brain, right? But if that's all the doctors had done, we would be annoyed at that because they have not dealt with the underlying issue. And Jesus is a wonderful doctor. And so when he looks at all of us, he says, Look, my focus is dealing with the underlying problem, not the surface problem. And we should be thankful for that, that Jesus is like that. Because you see, this is true for all of us. If you find the answers to all your problems in your life, but you don't deal with the underlying problem in your life, which is sin, then nothing else matters. And on the flip side, it doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. If you are right with God, you've been freed from the paths of sin, then life is alright, brothers and sisters. Then we know that all is going well. So now you're thinking, of course, isn't it? You're thinking to yourself, Chola, fine. You've taught me life sometimes is paralyzing. I know that. Tough, and I, and I came here. Sorry to hear that. Secondly, now you're telling me I don't just have problems, now I've got a bigger problem. This problem of sin. Well, I should have stayed at home. I mean, I should have stayed at home rather than come here to hear that everything got a bigger problem. Well, not so quick. You see, it is good for us to know that there is a bigger problem in our lives. Because in this passage, there's good news for us. And this is our final point from this passage. And the point is this. The good news is this. Jesus has come. Has God healing the paralysis of sin? So yes, point number one, life of paralysis. And two, our greatest problem is sin. But the good news is that Jesus is God healing the paralysis of sin. So let's, let's rejoin the, uh, the man there before Jesus. Jesus has forgiven the man. We see that in verse 5. Uh, but there's one group there which has come, and they're not very happy about what Jesus has done. They are seething with anger. Let's read about them in verse 6 to 7. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? They're thinking these things, of course. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? As far as these scribes, these religious experts are concerned, Jesus is now a candidate for the death penalty. Because that is what blasphemy at this time gets you. We are already seeing opposition now beginning to build 
against Jesus. They are looking at him. This man is claiming to be God. Death now is almost now beginning to start overing over him. Now, they are not saying this out loud. They are thinking it to themselves. They are saying, how dare this uneducated rabbi from God knows where comes here and speaks like he is God. But God has heard them. As Brother Michael reminded us, God has heard them. Let's read on verse 8 to 9. God has heard their thoughts. Verse 8 to 9 says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. I think this is one of those moments we call, you know, their, their hand has been caught in the cookie jar. <laughs> they have been thinking bad thoughts of Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus knows, and, and Jesus speaks to them. Uh, and Jesus tells them, look, I know you're thinking these things. And we can imagine them thinking to themselves, how does Jesus know we are thinking these things? <laughs> uh, because he's God, huh? That's why Jesus knows. Jesus knows because he is God. And now immediately he moves to prove it to them. Not only by forgiving this man as God, but by healing the man as the author of life. Let's read on verse 10 to 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, he's standing to the paralytic, I said to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, this is the people, we never saw anything like this. And I just want to make the point that here, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, uh, this is his favorite way of Jesus saying, referring to himself. It is actually a title that comes from the book of Daniel, which we'll look at, I think, in our, our Bible studies as we continue that study on, on Satan. From Daniel 7, chapter 13 to 14, you can look it up. That's where Jesus takes that title from. In the title, Son of Man combines the role of Jesus as the perfect man, or in some version, the human one, the perfect, the first, if you like, the last Adam who represents his people before God. At the same time, it combines it with another title of Jesus as the Messiah, God's appointed king. If you like what Jesus is saying to them, look, I can forgive and deal the sins of people. Because the kingdom of God is now among you, and I have come as a son of man. As if you like, God the son, and the second Adam. I am God in the flesh. And so Jesus has done this miracle, not only to be good to this man. As in, he has not just forgiven him to be good to the man. He has not just healed him to be good to the man. He has done this as a picture that anticipates what he has come to do on the cross. Because a few years, perhaps two years or three years later, Jesus will walk up to the cross. In Jerusalem there, he will be nailed to that cross of wood. He will die the death we deserve. And he will rise from death to give us new life. And you see, when we look at someone paralyzed, whenever you encounter a paralyzed person, think of yourself there. That is you in your natural condition. 
Sin has paralyzed us. It has paralyzed our soul. Uh, it prevents us from moving and acting as we were originally created to do. To love God, to live for him, to serve him. Uh, but there on the cross, Jesus offers his life as a penalty for my sin and your sin. There he wipes the debt clean. There he says to you, your sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. And he doesn't just forgive you of sin. As he rises from death, he infuses new life into you. He gives you new spiritual life. He plugs you to the triune God. You are now living in union with Christ if you trust him. And you're wondering, what about the physical problem? I'm paralyzed with my problem right now. There's an issue going on in my life, in my family, this issue. Well, because you are in Jesus, now you can bring any paralysis you have to him. And by his sovereign will, he will deal with them as he sees fit. But more than that, he has already given you a new future with God. Yes, your disease may still be with you for the rest of your life. But you have a new world and a new heaven and a new earth coming. Where there will be no disease. Yes, as you sit here, perhaps you're still going to find it challenging to, to shake off certain sins. You are battling against them. But friends, there is a time coming when sin won't bother you no more. Because Jesus has freed you now from the paralysis of sin. And you are ready to enter the new heavens and the new earth. You have a great future with Christ. If you are trusting in him. Because you see, Jesus is offering this healing from the paralysis of sin to each one of us this morning. He's offering it to me, he's offering it to you. And the question we all of us have to ask ourselves is, have you come to Jesus to be freed from the paralysis of sin? Have you come to him in real, tangible faith? Because you see, the only condition, two conditions you need to be freed by Jesus from your paralysis. You need to be a sinner, and that's all of us. Two, you need to have faith in Christ and his death on the cross. Not only your good deeds, you must have faith in him. And sometimes we define faith, but this is a wonderful passage, isn't it? We can ask, what is faith? Faith is here. In this passage, we see what faith looks like. Faith is what we see these friends of the paralytic doing. Did you see them? They, 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 they combined their knowledge with action. They knew Jesus could do something about it, and they moved in a situation by taking Jesus, this man, to Jesus. They're not just believing words. They are doing things. You see, faith is not simply knowing your chair you're sitting on is safe. It is putting your weight on it. And you need to fully surrender to Jesus like that. Putting your full weight on Christ as your Lord and Savior. A true faith is not simply believing Jesus can take you places, so to speak. It is handing over the keys of your life to Jesus. To him to drive for the rest of your life. He's in charge, you're doing it. That is what faith is. If you, it is you, if you like, accepting your good works cannot end your favor before God. You are now just trusting the blood of Jesus. You have come to the end of yourself and you're saying, for me, it is Jesus or nothing. That's what faith is. And you have to ask yourself this morning, do you have such faith in Christ? It's not about you said the sinner's prayer sometime. The question is, are you trusting in Jesus now?
Not on your good work, but on his precious blood. And if you're not confident this is your situation, then come to Jesus now. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to heal you from the paralysis of sin. Now some of us here are already trusting in Jesus. Praise the Lord. So what does this healing of this man mean for us? There are many applications. I've already talked about some of them. But I just want to focus on one, and it is this. It is here to encourage us to bring people to Jesus. Because you see, these four men believed Jesus could hear their friends. And if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, the question I have for you is, do you believe that Jesus can save your family? Do you believe Jesus can save your friends? Do you believe Jesus can save your neighbors? Can he save your, he can save your colleagues at work? Well, if you do and you're trusting in Jesus, do not leave any roof standing. Do not leave, do not leave it standing. Come to Jesus. Do not leave any stone and turn, so to speak. I'm not saying kidnap them and bring them to church. <laughs> we don't want the police knocking on the, on the door as it were. But it does mean start investing in the relationships you have in practical ways. As I thought about this passage and I thought to myself, that man there is paralyzed in this story. If he has those friends can't help him to come to Jesus, he can't be healed. As I thought about this, I realized that the God had placed those four friends in this man's life, not by design, not by accident, by God's design. You, in your life, you're surrounded by many people. You have people in your life that are paralyzed by sin. And God has placed you there. Not by, you're not there by accident. God has placed you there. Some of the situations are difficult. They look hopeless like that man. And you wonder, can God do anything? But we see here that you are there by design, and, and God wants you to work in those situations. You have nasty neighbors, you are there by design. You have nasty colleagues at work, you are there by design. You have difficult children, you are there as a parent by design. You, you, you walk past homeless people all the time, you are meeting them by design. God is placing you in this situation by design. And so your challenge for you, if you trust in Jesus, is to be truly present where you are there by design. To, to, to live and work with the love of Jesus so that people, as Brother Rob likes to say, when people have a crisis moment or whatever, they can look to you. But you're going to invest in these situations first. You want to be a person, the first person they call if they're asking difficult answers. I've lost, I've lost my loved one. Can you, what, 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 what do I do now? You want to be the one who is there to do that. So look for opportunities then, not only to know them deeper, but also to invite them to church. Because this is what these people do. They bring him to Jesus. And so start thinking about how the church here can help you reach people on the margins of your life. What can we as a church do to help you reach those people that are paralyzed by sin that you encounter. You see, you see, friends, as I come to the end, I just want to say, look, all of us are in two camps here, if we are followers of Jesus. We are either the four people working hard to bring people to Jesus, or we are in the crowd. We are in the crowd in Peter's house, and we are blocking people coming to Jesus. 
You see, the people in the crowd, I thought, they are so interested in Jesus' preaching. They love the Sunday sermons. And they grab the popcorn. They sit on their favorite chairs, so to speak. But they have no time for anyone else. It is just them and the messages being preached. Oh, friends, how strange. How strange. And yet, this is a picture of some of us in this fellowship. We are well-meaning. We love the Lord, yes. We are focused. We love the preaching of his word. We want to hear him speak. But are we conscious of the spiritual state of the person sat next to us? Not even outside. Just the person sat next to you. Are you conscious of their spiritual state? Do you know where they are at in their walk with Jesus? Are you actively looking to introduce them, the person sat next to you, to grow them more, to, to, to point them more, more every day to Jesus? And then, of course, out there, as I've said. And, of course, one way we do that is through prayer, isn't it? Jesse Rouse, as he looked at this passage, he reminds us that prayer, of course, is the most obvious way we introduce people to Jesus. Because, you see, prayer is the most powerful way of doing this because we see it in Acts as believers join and in prayer together. Listen, I'm not talking about praying by yourself. I'm not talking about prayer. I'm talking about corporate prayer because that's what prayer we see in Acts. Okay? As believers come together, join hands in unity, God looks at his children. And he begins to move in a mighty way. So purpose is to pray with other believers. So that you can introduce those people to Jesus. Not the believers, the people you're praying for. Uh, We do not know who Jesus has chosen to serve. We don't know that. But we know that Jesus has power to serve. And we know that Jesus wants to serve. And so we can come to him in confidence to introduce people to him. And we can come to not only confident, but as privileged people, excited about it. Because you see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given an amazing, an amazing, glorious privilege to introduce someone to the great King of Heaven. It is amazing. What an honor. Well, may God help us to grab it with both hands. Amen.